Hey, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter as we will pick right back up where we left off last week. If you've been following along with us, you notice in the scriptures, especially through chapter 2 into chapter 3, there was just a light subject matter called submission, and that was your favorite favorite word for the last month, I'm sure. And uh, we saw, of course, the submission to, to the Lord, the submission to government, submission uh, to your employer as an employee, the submission between a husband and wife relationship. It goes on and on. And then it got even better. Then you went from submission to the next S word, and that is what? Suffering. Oh, what a beautiful, nice transition. Now it gets even more intense. And we talk about how we can suffer for Christ and Christ. Uh, had a, a plan and through the fact that yes you can suffer for doing what is right and but you can also suffer for doing what is wrong and so uh, right brings blessings uh, suffering for doing what is wrong that is brings consequences and we learned that but Peter doesn't hold off on the gas here if they even had a gas maybe it was a little bit more getting the the, the, the donkey to move a little faster here but that's going to now switch the subject now into Christ has suffered and that is what we will see here in the remaining of chapter 3. I'll tell you, this part of the chapter is not an easy chapter. And uh, it's quite controversy in many circles. Not here. We're just going to keep it nice and simple as we go through and study verse by verse. And may it bring some clarity. It might bring some questions. And certain we're always available to answer any of your questions that you may have afterwards. But let us just start here by starting with verse 17, where we left off last week. For it is better if it is the will of God, notice that, the will of God, to suffer doing good than for doing evil. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Let us continue here. Let me read the rest of these here. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, which when once the divine suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him or submissive to him. So as we take a look at this, and as my eyes are trying to adjust for some reason, I'm not sure if the lights are all the way up, if you could just verify for me, but some reason my eyes are not clarity here, but it will probably be just fine. But as we take a look at here in verse 18, notice here, that there is no longer any sacrifice or atonement at one mint that can please God other than what Jesus provided at the cross. Even our own suffering won't pay for our sins. The price has already been paid by Christ. 
Notice here, for Christ, not your name, not some organization, not some church organization, but for Christ, also suffered once for sins. Once. He doesn't suffer every day, all day, every time. No, he suffered once for sins. The plural is sins. It's talking about your sins and my sins because he was sinless. He was sinless. But he was made sin by his father placing your sins and my sins upon the Savior on that cross that day. Notice here, it's the just for the unjust. When you look at this and you look at within the language here, you will notice very clearly the just is singular in the Greek. But the unjust is plural in the Greek. So the one, our Savior, Jesus Christ, died for all. That means you and I. That he might bring us to God. Notice the next important thing here. So that he did that so that he could bring you and I to the Father. Because there was no other way to come to the Father. You couldn't pay your way. You can't earn your way. You can't do a good enough, enough good things for God. Even though they're good things. Will not bring you to the Father. Only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes by the, to the Father. But by me, Jesus said. How did that happen? Being put to death in the flesh that he lived in. And then made alive, resurrected in the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So in John 19, 30, it says, So when Jesus had received that sour wine, he said what on that cross? It is finished. Teletestai. It's in the Greek. It's a perfect indective Passive tense of the word telos. It is clear as can be what that word means in the Greek. It's complete. The mission accomplished. Paid in full. All the sins of yours and mine was paid in full on that cross. It is finished. So why is it that we continue to strive to think we need to continue to somehow pay for our sins when he paid for it. Why are you sitting there like you and your father arguing over the paycheck after dinner? Because that's what you're doing. Lord, I should be paying for this. I, need to, I, I really screwed up this time. I need to pay. And the father says, I've already, it's, it's already been paid for. No, no, give me the check. I want to be the one to pay for it. You can't pay for it. It's already been paid for. Thank you, Jesus. But we wrestle with our Father. We wrestle with our Savior over the pay. Who's going to pay for it? Because you think you need to pay for it. You cannot pay for it. You're not sinless. You've been made sinless. It's because of the grace of God that you've been set free from your sins. Why? Because we may see right here that Christ suffered for you. And he only had to do it once. Notice he was the just. He was the righteous who died for the unrighteous or the unjust. That's you and me. 
He became that substitute that we see back in chapter 2, verse 24. He died only once. We see that even referenced in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. Though Peter used the suffering of Christ as an encouragement to these believers in Asia Minor to encourage them. Remember, Jesus died for you. He paid it all. Be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. Continue to go through the suffering that you're experiencing because of your relationship with Jesus. Continue to go forward. Continue to move day by day. It's a daily walk because he paid it all. Be strengthened in that. Even though it's afflicted leaders, understand, continue to lead my people because it's It's important you continue to do that because Jesus suffered your suffering. He suffered before you. We must remember that Peter also set Jesus completely apart from all others in his suffering. That he was the just. We were not just. He was righteous. We are not righteous. He made us righteous because he clothed us with his robe of righteousness. That's the only reason why we became righteous. but that he might bring us to God because his whole purpose is fellowship with God. People say, why do you come to Christ? Why do you need? Well, you need to be saved from your sins. But also the fact that he did that, he sent his only begotten son to die for your sins. For what reason? So you can just live your life however you want to live? No. That's... That, that's some other Christianity. That's some a non-Christianity. He, he died for you and I so that we could have fellowship with God once again. Do you not remember Genesis? Adam and Eve dwelling in the garden in perfection, perfect, dwelling, walking with God in the midst of the garden. Do you not remember that? But what stopped that? Fellowship. Sin. Yes, that pride stopped the fellowship with God. They had to, God could not dwell with sin, so they had to leave the garden. But God didn't give up on you and on us and all of his creation. He says, I'm going to create you and I'm going to make a way for you to have Fellowship or one is atonement, one meant back with me because I'm going to pay for your sins. God took on flesh. He didn't enter in some man's body. He took on flesh. He was the man God. Took on flesh, just like you and I. And went to the cross with a mission in mind, purely to go to the cross to die for the sin of the world. And it is finished. It's complete. It's done. It's it's not negotiable. It's done. The only challenge is, is that you believe that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Those are easy words to say for many of you. But do you understand what that means? And how to live that. That's why we're here. (laughs) Because we're being encouraged and learning and growing and understanding of who are the Savior that we devote our life to. We don't devote our life to an organization. 
We devote our life to the Savior of the world. But the singular, the just, for the plural, the unjust, Jesus is the perfect example of suffering for doing good. He was perfect, but he was doing good, and he is the just one, suffered for all of us of the unjust. The purpose of it all was to bring us to God, to restore our broken and dead relationship with them. So the question is for you, if you feel like you have this, 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 you're not growing together as a couple. You're not growing together as, and, and with God. You're not growing with your children. You're not growing. There's a lot of things we can sit there and say, oh, I don't feel things are going well, especially when it comes to my relationship with God or my life and how it's playing out. Let me challenge you. What's causing the separation? What's hindering and why do you have a broken and dead relationship with Jesus? You know of Jesus. My question is, is, do you have a growing and loving relationship with Jesus? Or is there just sense there's something not right with your relationship? I would challenge you as the scripture challenges us to seek the Lord. And if there's any wicked way you find it in me, Lord, please expose that to me quickly so I can, can repent change my mind toward the sin and walk away by the power of your Holy Spirit to make that relationship restored because God has restored it he made a way God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin 2 Corinthians 5 21 that's the just for the unjust why because Jesus did all of this to bring you to God. Do you desire to be with God? Do you desire to look forward to being with God in heaven? Do you ponder on these things? You should be. If you're not yet, I encourage you to keep showing up regardless of how you feel because you will grow and you're mature. You'll no longer be thinking you're mature as a Christian when you're really not. But as you grow in the word, as you continue to encourage you to be in the word daily and keep showing up and being in the fellowship and growing and listening, hearing, you will grow to a point where you will desire more of God than anybody and anything else. That's where you need to be. That's where all you need to be. Because Jesus wants to bring you to God. How wrong it is for us not to come to God in surrendered fellowship. The ancient Greek word translated here as bring is the same word we see in the word access in Romans 5.2 and also Ephesians 2.18. Romans 5.2 says, We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's that marvelous, marvelous grace to meet our daily needs. We have access to God to access this grace that allows us to meet all of our spiritual and also emotional and physical needs based on his grace. We even see it in Ephesians 2.18 where it says because of the work of Christ on the cross, we now have an open access to God. We are able to boldly come into his throne, Hebrews 10.19. 
Jude 1.24 even says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. That's amazing for you and I. Some of you are like, I, I am not faultless. No, no, no. It's not based on what your works are, my brothers and sisters. It's based on the finished work of Christ. That is why you're made faultless and be able to come in by his grace into the throne of grace and to be boldly come into him. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You can go boldly right in there daily, day by day, moment by moment, wherever you are, and boldly come in and say, God, help me. God, I have needs. God, I am struggling. God, I want to praise you and honor you and glorify you and give you my life to you. You don't have to go through anybody. You don't have to come to some organization. You can boldly go right into God. Now, that should be great news for all of us. I should have heard at least a little clap in somewhere in the head, right? Right? But the challenge is, is some of you are like shaking in your shoes. Because you don't think, because you know where you're at spiritually, mentally. You, spiritually, you, you know. Oh, please don't let me go and, and face God. But that's why we're here, my brothers and sisters. You might be convicting, being convicted right now by the Spirit of God. And I'm just saying, God loves you so much that he's willing to convict you. He's willing to convict you to get your attention so that you are willing to surrender in that fellowship with him. Just understand that your sins were paid in full as a child of God. Now, if you're not a child of God this morning, Today's the day of your salvation. Right now, God is talking to you and he's convicting you and he's asking you to repent and give your life over to him right now. Do that. Surrender yourself right now to God and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he has made a way for you to boldly come into the relationship with God. But that's between you and God. Why? Because of the grace of God. Because he loves you. That's how much he loves you. As much as you don't want anything to do with God, he wants everything to do with you. That's why he created you. For a plan and a purpose for him. For fellowship into eternity. I know it's hard for some of you to grasp in your mind because you're just trying to figure out how to get through today and through the struggle you're dealing with. But I'm telling you, you will just surrender it to him. He says by his grace he's going to equip you to help you and strengthen you, get you through that, that, uh, that suffering that you're going through right now. Why would you do it on your own when you have the God of the universe says he's going to help you? <laughs> I had to get that through in my head. I had to kind of realize that I was just so prideful to think I could do it on my own. And not trust in God, the universe, who created me to get me through the suffering and the trial and the tribulation. Yes, some of the things I brought upon myself, but some things is just because I was a child of God and that's what I was dealing with. 
Now we see here the purpose of the cross is to put away our sin. Which had separated us from God. The effect of sin is always an alienation and separation from God. Anytime we sin is going to cause some separation. It's, if you sin against someone else, it's going to cause separation between you and that person until it's reconciled. Until it's, it's, it's repented of and change of mind. It's going to cause problems. So many of our problems are because we're not willing to forgive and to reconcile. That's why you have challenges because you're not willing to humble yourself. You're not willing to take the first step to rectify that relationship because you're so stubborn. Yes, I said it. Man must decide and understand when you decide to sin there's always a result. And that result is always a loss of fellowship with God. And the purposes of God will be impacted by, our, by sinful man, by our sin. It will impact the purposes of God in your life. So in order that man might have fellowship with God, these purposes of God must be restored and Jesus suffered once for our sins to be able to make that happen. The just for the unjust. That we might bring us to God, to reconcile us to God and to cleanse us and to change us, to move us away from the sinful nature into a godly nature of like our Savior. And it's a process that takes time when you first get saved and you're now saved, your sins have been dealt with. Now you must grow and it's a transformation, that sanctification process. Yes, you've been justified like you've never sinned before. Now it's sanctification process. That is the cleansing and changing and moving and shaping to get you to be more like Christ-like. And ultimately, we'll be a finished work once we're in the presence of God. That's the glorification. And we must understand it. That he might be able to wash and cleanse you from your sin in order that you might have the purposes of God reestablished and accomplished in your life as you have fellowship with God. How does this all happen? Because it's just not just happened. We see in this verse that he died in his flesh. He was the one on the cross. That flesh, that word here is incarnation, that earthly body that he took on for you and I to live this life of those 33 years. But made alive by the Spirit, which is the spiritual body. That's the transformation as his resurrected body. Jesus did die in his body and was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. That is truth in the scripture. Now many people will say, I'm a little confused. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Let me give you those scriptures so you understand it. Was it the Holy Spirit? Was it, the, was it Jesus himself? Was it the Father? Yes. It's a simple way to tell you. Yes, I'll give you the scriptures for you to support this. It says right here, the Bible tells that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. We also know that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 6, verse 4, and Romans 8, 11. 
We also know that Jesus raised himself from the dead. John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. John 10, 17 through 18. Which now tells you and I that the triune God was all involved in the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. So I hope that settles for you. It doesn't bring you any confusion. It's one God doing a work of God for mankind. Now, we should never minimize the importance of the resurrection of, of God, of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is part of, everyone talks about the death of the cross. He talks about the burial. But you must also emphasize the resurrection because he is alive. If he's not alive, he didn't die. He didn't finish the work that was supposed to happen. Because it declares the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is God, Romans 1.4. That the work of salvation is completed and accepted by the Father, Romans 4.25. That death has been conquered. That the darkness and the death no longer controls man. It's been paid in full. It's completely owned. He owns the world. Jesus has now has all the power and might to own everything, to control everything. He conquered death. 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation chapter 1. Understand, the good news, the gospel, always involves death, burial, and resurrection. So when you're sharing the good news, you must not say, God, Jesus died for your sins. You're absolutely correct. But he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He is alive. But we also, we're going to see in the scripture today, he also ascended into heaven. And that is very important in the good news that you want to share with someone who is lost and suffering. It is the risen Christ who gives us the power we need on a daily basis for life and service. We see that in Galatians 2.20. Verses 19 says, By whom the Holy Spirit also went and preached to the spirits in prison. First part of verse 20, who formerly were disobedient. Now this is a very controversial verses of verses 19 and 20. Because many have a lot of opinions and understandings. Let me give you where I stand on the, on the position. You may have a slightly different position, but this is where I stand based on reading the, the, the scriptures here. But by whom, working, right, that God himself went and preached to the spirits in prison. The question is, is who and what did they preach and to who is the spirits? These are the three questions you have as you're studying the word. So by whom means that Jesus was moved by the Spirit of God, who he did the work of preaching, or the Greek word here is not preaching the good news, but preaching or proclaiming truth to these spirits. Proclaiming to the spirits in prison, he was made alive by the Spirit, then also did his work by the same Spirit of the resurrection. So this is who, by whom we're referring to. Jesus, somewhere between death on the cross and his resurrection, many believe, during that three days is when he went down. And does it say where he went? Does it say he went up, he went down, 
doesn't say that. He just says he went and preached the spirits in prison. So don't add he went down. Scripture and other scripture shows that he went to Hades, which is not hell. And I'm not going to get into all the, the different places of Tardis and Hades and hell and Obis. We're not going to get into that because we don't have time. Now, I could have time. We could go in next an hour. But we'll have that as another time of discussion. But he went and preached to where the spirits in prison. Now, where, where, who are these spirits? I believe these are fallen angels. These are fallen angels who were imprisoned because these were the fallen angels during the time before the flood. That if you study the scriptures, you will see that the fallen angels were having sexual relationship with women at that time. This was a very wicked, wicked time. Beyond what you and I can even imagine. The world was so wicked, only as we will see in the scripture, only eight souls were saved. No other soul, no other person wanted to be saved. Did, want, did not want to follow God's lead. And listen to God's, and we will see the Lord with, God with Noah preaching to the, to the people. So these spirits, these fallen angels, apparently in this work was done somewhere in the time period of, of his death and before his first resurrection appearance to the disciples. But Jesus went, I believe, to Hades, an abode of the dead, where they dwell, where they're imprisoned and locked up because these were wicked. And we see five or six different very large giants. We see even historically they found these places where these giants dwelt in houses with um, uh, doors 16 feet high. I mean, there's a lot of study on angels and fallen angels. We just don't have a lot of time to get into that. But if anyone's interested, I have some good books if, that you, we're trying to try to get a hold of. We haven't ordered them yet. We'll be putting them in the new bookstore that's in the process of being built out there in the cafe area. And we'll have those books for those who would like to get into more depth of that. But they went these spirit, in these spirits in prison. And some regarded these spirits, of course, some believe these are human spirits. These are people who died prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. And he went down and ministered to them to lead them out of captivity. And yes, there's scriptures around that. But I believe it's a different time than what he's referring to here. But it's more likely it's fallen angels, these spirits, because Peter always referred to human beings as souls, never spirits. Spirits is always referred to angelic, just so you know from in the Greek and the, and the literature. It just, it's, 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 that's the way it is. But we know that in their disobedience was in the days of Noah. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 20, as we just read it. But we have evidence that there's a time of this gross sin, both de demons and humans coming together and mingling in an ungodly way. We go back and read Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 in that reference. But what did he preach? What did he command or what did he proclaim when he did speak to these spirits? Well, he went down to communicate the work is finished. It's done. You, you tried to take out 
the messianic line. You tried to stop the purposes of God. Remember from the very beginning, Satan and his demonic fallen angels have been trying to stop from Jesus from coming. From right from Genesis to all the way through these, even these, these, these giants, these demonic mixed human beings were trying to take out the messianic line for Jesus to come. We see even uh, demons using all kinds of humans to try to take out the messianic line. Herod tried to take out every baby at a certain age, knowing that that baby was about two years old after Jesus was uh, born. He tried to kill all the babies to try to stop the messianic line. So this has been the work of Satan all along. Now Jesus has the ability, because it's finished, to go into him and let him know it's no longer. I have conquered death. I have made a way. And that is, you'll never stop me from accomplishing the finished work of now coming back and ruling and reigning in this world. So I believe he went in there, he proclaimed the God's message that it's finished. Not the good news or evangelistic, but literally went in there to proclaim God's message. Jesus preached a message of judgment and final condemnation in light of his finished work on the cross to these disobedient spirits. Now in doing this, there was a completion in Jesus' triumph over evil. Even the evil that happened before the flood, the Bible says that even those under the earth must acknowledge that Jesus is ultimate lordship. And this is where I believe it took place. Because in Philippians 2.10, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And they all bowed when he showed up and proclaimed Final judgment, condemnation upon them. Now in the rest of chapter, uh, verse 20, it says, When once the divine, notice it's capital D, divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. Now, when we take a look at this, keep with, keeping in the fact that it was a good conscience and unjust persecution, Noah is presented as an example of one who commandment, commitment to himself of what God called him to do. Noah, you're going to build an ark. What's an ark, God? I will give you the picture and the dimensions. Just obey it and build it. But what is it for? It's going to have rain. I'm going to flood the land. What is rain? Because there was no rain at the time, remember. What do you mean it's going to be built and animals and, and humans are going to go on it? How many humans? How many animals? Can you imagine the conversations that was going on? But he was committed and empowered by the divine, meaning God was present with Noah through the hundred years to build the ark. Remember, he was 120. He started as a young man to do what God called him to do. He raised a family while doing what God called him to do. 
And he faithfully did it, empowered by God to do this. And during that whole time, Noah did not fear men by, by, by being obedient to God and proclaiming his message of salvation. Why are you building a Noah? Because I want to, God says we're building it to save those who will come. And the mocking and the ridicule. How long are you going to build this? How big is this going to be? What do you mean by rain? All of this, what do you mean I have to do this to be saved? They were partying it up. Remember, they were, they were, they were blending with demonics. It was a wicked, wicked time. Noah was a man of faith who kept doing the will of God even when it seemed to be a failure. And what was Noah's reward for keeping a clear conscience in an unjust suffering of a world that he was within? The reward was salvation for himself and his family. That was his reward. Who were saved through water, being brought safely through the flood. He, they were lifted up above the, of the floods. Eight souls. So Peter took something that was so important and so well known by the people of that day of the story and the understanding of the flood. There was no question. Today, people and kids are so messed up in understanding what the, the ark and everything is. That's why we teach them what the word of God says here in the children's ministry. So they have clarity what it is. But the people then that day knew exactly what the ark was. And Peter's drawing the conclusion because there's so much in this study alone. The 17th day of the month that the, the ark came arrested uh, on the Mount of Ararat is the exact same day that Jesus was resurrected. Did you know that? Of the same 17th day of the same month. Oh, if you haven't studied that alone, it's such a great study. But we don't have time to go into all that detail. But Peter wanted them to understand that the early church saw in the ark a picture of salvation. They knew that's how you were going to be saved from the destruction of the world. And Noah and his family were saved by faith because they believed God and they entered the ark and they're the only ones who went into the ark for safety. And so are you and I as sinners. So sinners are saved by faith when they trust Christ and become one with him. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, for your safety, for eternal life? I pray you have. Notice he continues in verse 21, there is also an antitype or a Figure. That's what the the, what the, fig, the the. It's not a complicated word. It just means a figure. It's an example. It's a symbol here, which now saves us. Baptism, and it's now in parentheses here, uh, uh, brackets. What baptism he's referring to here? Don't get it. Don't don't automatically think it's water baptism because it's not. Look at here, baptism. 
not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. That's the baptism he's referring to, which is the spiritual baptism, not the water baptism here. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the baptism he's talking about here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the spiritual transformation, that born-again experience, that regeneration that takes place within a person who puts their trust in the living God, the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There is a baptism, a regeneration that takes place. You're saved, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is what he's referring to here. He'll talk about the water baptism, but he's talking about first being saved within that relationship with Jesus. And it's called the good conscience toward God. Your, your conscience, your mind has shifted from going against God to now be for God. That it used to be how you wanted to live your life. Now it's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he lives and reigns and he intercedes for you and I. So at the same time, Peter was careful to point out that it isn't the actual water washing of baptism that saves you. But the spiritual reality behind the immersion in the water. What really saves us is the answer of a good conscience toward God. A conscience made good through the complete work of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, the complete, the Christ victorious over death. That is what allows us to be able to come with good conscience of putting our trust in Jesus Christ. That is how you're saved. The body placed in water cannot remove the stains of sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. We see that clearly in 1 John chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 7, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. Could be 3. I think it's 2. 2-2. Two, two. But baptism represents a complete break from one's past life. As the flood wiped away the old sinful world, so baptism pictures one's break from the old sinful life and his entrance into the new life in Christ. Those eight souls got into the ark, their life completely changed. A whole new world, a whole new change took place. It's same for us. When we are baptized in the spirit of Christ and trusting in him, it's a whole new life. You can no longer live the old life. You don't desire the old life. There's a change. The old life dies. Just as everyone died outside that ark. We must change. As the flood wiped away the old sinful world, we have to understand true baptism is a matter of my heart. Baptism is a symbol of what has already occurred in the heart and life of one who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And we see that in Romans 6, Galatians 3, and Colossians 2. Now, I believe that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ should be baptized. 
Should be baptized in water. Should be a full immersion. That's what I believe. But I do believe that water baptism by full immersion is the only a symbol of the work of the Spirit. That's the baptism that's already taken place in your life. The old man being dead now, buried in water in the new life that, that now I see as I come out of that water, the life of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And that's why we do baptism, because it's a beautiful symbol of what was already taking place in your life. And you're willing. Remember, back in those days when they did baptism, it was absolutely critical for them because they had no other way to communicate to the decision that they were making that would change their life. Because they had no other rituals and, and, and ceremonial things. There was no sacrificial of an animal. There is no more priests. There, there's nothing. So when people back in those days commit their life to Jesus Christ and they're saved... And now they're going to make that proclamation or proclaim that to their friends and their families and loved ones. That they're no longer going to do what they do, used to do. They showed it and demonstrated that as what the scripture said. A full immersion of I'm dying of my old life and now I'm coming to a whole new life of living. When they did that in those days, it literally caused them to change life. They lost their family, lost their friends lost their children, everything potentially they could have lost. Their jobs, their status, their money, their livelihood, everything's changed because of their commitment to Jesus Christ for, for eternal life. Today, people don't even think about baptisms. No big deal. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if, you, if, if there's some circumstances and you get saved and you have no ability, like the thief on the cross, to be baptized, you, you, you're not, not saved. You're still saved. But the first act of obedience is to reflect to those who are watching and witnessing that you are going to be committed to living a changed life. No longer living the old life. And you want everyone to watch and, and be accountable to that. That's a great statement. Those who got baptized just, it feels like just a few days ago, but it's probably been a couple of Sundays at least. That took faith to come in there and say, I'm willing to live in front of everyone. I want to live differently. I want to live for God. Because of what he's done in my life and will do in my life. And I believe that with all my heart, and that's why they got baptized. It's not some ritual. It's not some rite. It doesn't save you. It's just a symbol of what has been transpired into your heart by the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's just like, such as like communion. You do it with the right heart. You go and get baptized because you know what God has done in your heart. You don't do it just because it's a ritual thing. It, you don't do it because I want to be a member of some church. You don't do it because someone told you you had to. You don't do it because of any other than what God is asking you to do and commit to. 
It's like communion. It says there, and the person who doesn't believe but takes communion is actually bringing damnation or condemnation upon their life. That's why we warn people, communion is for believers. Communion is not for non-believers. And it's okay, don't take it. Because we know the scripture is very clear in 1 Corinthians 11.29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. So we don't, we don't take this for some ritual and something that we just do because we do it at church. No, 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 no. We do it because it's right and good according to the ways of God. And we do it his way. So the same, if you go through the ritual of water baptism and it hasn't happened in your heart first, it's only a witness against you is not helping you. Because it doesn't save you. I do not believe in what many call baptismal regeneration. I do not believe that. I don't see it scriptural. I do not believe that if a person is not baptized that they're not saved. I still think I believe they're saved. You are saved by believing in Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's how you're saved. And now because I believe in Jesus Christ, I want to obey him. And thus I am baptized as a sign of what has transpired already in my heart. Now we see in verse 22, who has gone into heaven? Who has gone into heaven? Jesus ascended into heaven. Very important that you write that in your Bible. And is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been subject to him. Submissive to him. Why? Because he overcame all of that darkness he now rules and reigns who has a scroll who is worthy of of receiving the scroll the deed of this world only jesus christ so we see the completeness of jesus's work by his exaltation his ascension to the right hand of the Fa- of god the father and the subjection of all the created spirits unto him and it's so through jesus suffered for doing good he had the ultimate triumph that christ victorious vict- uh, victory is done because of his what he completed his mission of what God called him to do. Remember in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said to his disciples, what? All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Have you ever pondered on that, of how much power that is? How much power has been given to him? Look at the universe. Think of the power that brought into existence all power. And that is who we put our trust in. That is who we live our lives for. The person who has the power of the universe. So Peter is saying, that is who you're putting your trust in through your suffering. That is who you're putting your trust in through the the complications and the issues of life. That is who you're putting your trust in when you're absent from this body. You'll be in the presence of the Lord as a Christian. Is the power of the universe. The ascension of Christ. 
Forty days after his resurrection, our Lord ascended to heaven and is seating at the right hand of the Father, the place of exaltation. Do you know that we as believers are also seated with him in the heavenlies? We see that in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. Through him, we are able to reign in life with him, Romans 5, 17. And he is ministering to you and I as the church, as the high priest. He is our priest we go to. We see that in Hebrews chapter 4. He's also our advocate. He's there talking, communicating with the Father about you. About you. About me. And about the love and the sacrifice he made for you and for me. And we accepted that sacrifice. And he advocates for you and me. And he is preparing a place for his people we see in John 14. And will one day come to receive you and me into his loving arms. Are you ready for him to come back? Are you ready for the rapture to take place? If it happened today? Are you ready if something happened on your way as you leave this place that you have no control over? Are you ready? Oh, I hope today you're ready. I hope you have the peace of God that just passes your, all your understanding, even with all the suffering you're going through and all the trials and tribulations and all the uncertainties and all the, the weight of life. I really do pray, my brothers and sisters, that you have the peace of God that over ascends all of that, of those, all that uncertainty. And you will just rest in the finished work of the victory that Christ has received. Are you with me? Because there's only one way to live, and that is the joy of the Lord will be your strength, we see in Nehemiah. Do you have a joy in your heart this day? I really do pray you do. Because Peter really wanted to emphasize Christ's complete victory over all the darkness, all over all the angels and authorities and powers and as Christians, we do not fight for victory. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Because we have victory in Christ. The mighty victory of our Lord Jesus Christ won for us in his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Christ victorious.